about your psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Hi everyone, this is Neil Pruitt from Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. You may have heard this voice before, the New World Order. I was the producer and the voice for the New World Order. You're listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. This podcast has not been sanctioned by the New World Order. Hey everyone, this is Guy Evans, author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, and you are listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. Brand new episode of the Wrestling Basement Podcast here on the Cruise Control Podcast Network, which you can find on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and now on YouTube on the Cruise Control Podcast Network. Thanks to our, our guys at Red Bull for supporting the podcast. I'm John Always. By Graham Matthews from Bleacher Report, Fan Sided, Daily DDT. Graham, my man, how you doing? Doing great, Randy. How about yourself? It's been a couple weeks. I'm doing good, man. Yeah. Um, did a show to ask you, how was Aruba? Aruba was uh, was hot. <laughs> <laughs> In one word, it was just hot, man. It was just uh, they, they told me it's like that all year round. So whether it's January or June, it's going to be 85 and above. Great water, great atmosphere, great people. Uh, I, I could have gone at a, at, a, at a better time. Perfect. Right on Halloween weekend, too. So that's awesome. And right yeah. around your birthday time, too, or a couple days after your birthday. Right. So going there for Halloween was different than being here in New York. And, um, you know, just they did a little something out there mm-hmm. um, by the beach and with some with some music and lights and everything and, and try to have everybody separated. But um, I'd rather celebrate a ha- Halloween in Aruba than uh, in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, given the current circumstances, I don't blame you at all. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Randy J. Cruz, R E N D Y, the letter J C R U Z. You can find Graham at WrestleRant. Uh, so today, Graham, we're talking about, as you see on the bottom, uh, if you're watching live on Twitter and YouTube, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, the Corporate Champion is the name of the episode, which means we're talking about the time frame that The Rock was champion. He joined the corporation. Um, at, the, at the 1998 Survivor Series, which makes 22 years tomorrow. So that's on the November 15th. We're taping this on the 14th. And the timeline goes all the way to WrestleMania 15, which he is in the main event for the title against Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, Graham, before we get into any of that, what is your favorite version of The Rock? We have the goody two-shoe good guy when he, when he debuted, 
we have the nation we have the corporate champion rock we have hollywood rock uh people's champion rock the, 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 the recent rocks now what's your favorite version of the rock god put me on the spot randy right off the bat here um that's right that's how we do things here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say this right off the bat. He is the great one because almost every incarnation of The Rock is great. Um, mm-hmm. With the exception of, I would say, probably Rocky Maivia from 1996 when he first showed up. That version is not my favorite whatsoever. It's probably not a lot of people's favorite. I would be surprised if it is. Every other version from After He Turned Heel, Nation of Domination, you named it. Hollywood Rock, Corporate Rock, Babyface Rock. 2000 Rock was hot. White hot in 2000 was was uh was the rock in that year when Stone Cold Steve Austin went down with a neck injury. Um, oh one, oh two, oh three, he was kind of gone from that point forward. For me personally, this is far from a bold opinion. I love Hollywood Rock. It was very short lived. We should have gotten it longer, but from February of oh two, I'm sorry, oh three, from when he came back from filming whatever movie, uh, probably Walking Tall or something like that, up until the Goldberg match at Backlash. The guy was just phenomenal. The guy was fantastic. I think he came back in January, February, left in April, only around for a couple months. It was a great run, though. Had some really good matches with Stone Cold, with Goldberg at the Backlash paper. If you put him out, uh, pin him over, put him over, excuse me, on the way out. Um, that would probably be my favorite version of The Rock. I loved him when he came back in 2011. I'm still a big Rock fan. Um, yeah, 2011, 2012, 2013. I enjoyed that Rock very much. He kind of grew a little you know, stale after a while, some of the jokes he was doing and whatever, but I credit the rock for bringing an edge back to the product. Now, currently what we're seeing from WWE is far from the attitude era, but if you compare it to what we were seeing a decade ago, when they first went PG, the rock was the first person when he came back to say bitch on TV ass and stuff like that. doesn't make a big difference. Um, but before him, we weren't hearing a lot of superstars say that since before the PG era began. So he can kind of be credited for ushering that kind of edge back into the product and ever so slight edge. Nowadays, we hear it all the time. We hear the women say bitch every fucking promo um, that it's nothing really special. But he was kind of the one who did that. So I enjoyed The Rock when he came back. Um, but I would say above all else, my favorite version of The Rock would probably be Hollywood Rock from 2003. For me, not because we're talking about this uh this timeline now, but for me, the corporate rock was my favorite. Um, I love him. I love him in the nation. That that's, that that goes automatically. But I feel like the nation elevated rock to the corporate area better on the microphone. Like I, it, in that time, nobody can touch the rock on the microphone, promo wise. Um, a complete three sixty of what he wore, the style, the attitude. Uh, being a bad guy, I always felt The Rock was always uh, better as a bad guy than, than a good guy. Uh, aligning himself with the McMahons, the outfits, the, the, the gold chains, and the, the Armani suits. It's just a different aura of, of, of that kind of uh, talent that, that, that The Rock was back then. Then you elevate him to a world champion status. You elevate him to a great rivalry with mankind, a great rivalry, one of the best rivalries of all time with Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, and then you elevate him in his time frame to be, if not 1A, 1B. Mm-hmm. But a time where Stone Cold was not the champion, who was champion, it was The Rock. When Stone Cold was out with injury, who was champion, it was The Rock. So Hollywood Rock for me was cool, but I felt the corporate rock kind of just kind of combined, 
you know, Survivor Series, 96 Rock, and the Nation Rock together and just, and just balloon into this world, world crazy character that elevated him to becoming an actor later on. So for me, I mean, for you, you got Hollywood Rock, I got the corporate rock, and, and there is no wrong answer, depends on what, whatever you grew up in, but for me, um, it was the corporate rock. Yeah, well, I mean, if we're talking favorite here, I would say the best version of The Rock would probably be that one. Uh, there is a difference there. I'm just kind of partial to the Hollywood rock just because he was so entertaining at that point. But there is a difference between being entertaining and effective. And he was effective in that early 03 period. And he put over Goldberg on his way out. But as the corporate champion, that was what, as you said, Randy, really elevated him to that next level in WWE. Becoming the corporate champion as is the title of this episode. Um, taking him from a very popular upper mid Carter to world champion material. I'm not, again, I wasn't watching back in 98, so I can't say I was three years old when this event happened. So I can't say, Oh, everyone always believed that Rocky would be a future world champion before he actually did. I think he actually told the story recently um, on a special that WWE did called meeting the undertaker about a week or two ago. Very good. By the way, rock was on it. And he said, he told the story that he'd never told before about how, when rumors were starting to go around that he would become champion, everyone, from the boys, from the locker room standpoint, was kind of against it because they didn't want to see this new up-and-comer get his shot. The Undertaker was one of the few people who actually defended the idea of Rock becoming that guy and winning that title. So had Taker not stood up and said something, he may not have eventually won the championship. Right. Um, but obviously, becoming a big megastar, taking that push, making the most out of it. And I got to get this in here. I know I didn't do the episode the last time you talked about it, but I fucking hate the authority. This is kind of like the authority of 1998. It didn't feel that way because you look back at the angle and it was so well done in getting over new stars, that being Stone Cold Steve Austin, that being The Rock. You compare this to the authority 15 years later um, with a guy like Randy Orton, who was kind of in The Rock spot. He fell flat. I mean, granted, Orton was already established. It wasn't like he was a new guy. I mean, I guess they kind of tried it with Rollins and Rollins worked. I guess that did work to a certain extent. Um, I don't know. Rock was the perfect guy for that for that spot, though. And it is worth mentioning before this pay-per-view that we're about to get into, he was getting cheered pretty loudly. Now, I don't know exactly when he went babyface or started to tease the babyface turn post-Nation of Domination. I'd have to go back and look at the timeline. Um, although there actually is an episode of Timeline on the WWE Network where they talk about this stuff with him and the Nation of Domination. I know you watched it a couple of couple of months ago or weeks ago or whatever and it was really good on the network um but yeah corporate rock was really what cemented him as a main event level here uh, main event level heel and a multi-time world champion for years to come so i think you know to start it off the, the the timeline begins when like the rock ends his nation time with um i think at SummerSlam 98 so those who don't know, the, the Rock, and that was Rock and Triple H in the, in the, the latter match. Yes. Yep. Championship. And then after that, the Rock and the Nation kind of like just split apart. And then that's mm -hmm. when you see the Rock started getting cheers and becoming a good guy. So from pretty much September through November, so we give it a, a three-month time frame when the Rock was a good guy. So mm -hmm. no more Nation, no more bat, no more, no, no, no more booze. The Rock is now officially a good guy and now a guy who the McMahons does not want to become champion or wants to force not to become champion. So now they're whether it's Stone Cold, The Rock, anybody, or Taker or Kane, they they just they did not want The Rock to become champion. So when you lead up to Survivor series, you kinda see like they were kind of like on mankind's side to a degree or kind yes. of playing that role. So when you fast forward to Survivor series and and, and to this day, 
many people regard that Survivor Series, if you're doing, again, a top three, top five overall pay-per-view event for Survivor Series, many people are going to put 98 up there because of the tournament, how it was laid out. Mm. You, you weave so many storylines in, you know, into one. It just made sense. You had good matches, albeit a 15-14 match card, but it wasn't like 20-minute matches or five, six, seven matches a time lane for the tournament. But this and isn't an AEW pay-per-view. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Um, but everything, everything was just laid out. And again, for me, you know, Survivor Series is always looked at as like, it's the it's the main golden four pay-per-view but it's always it's always number four you got rumble mania and SummerSlam ahead of it and survivor series is always number four but when you rank 98 in that top five i know it's up there i i don't know what the other four is but i know 98 i'm pretty sure you've heard about it too but 98 has to be a top five survivor series pay-per-view of all time Oh, no, 100%. I mean, there has been over 30 Survivor Series pay-per-views, and I can't really speak to the early installments. I've seen every single one. I just haven't seen the early ones in a long time, and a lot of those elimination matches, as fun as some of them are, um, just kind of blend together for me, just because I didn't grow up in that era the same way that you did and other people have. So I can't really speak to the early installments. I mean, I, I can name a couple of great ones off the top of my head, but 98 would be in that conversation. The, fir the first two, ironically enough, that come to my mind as the greatest installments, and I'm not even saying this certified top two, undoubtedly. I really have to think about it. Um, but the first two that come to my mind are this one <clears throat> and Survivor Series 2002, which was four years later, Madison Square Garden. I watch it back every fucking year. I wasn't even a fan for that show. Like, I wasn't even watching at that point. And I absolutely love that pay-per-view. Great match after great match after great match. Hot-ass crowd. First-ever Elimination Chamber match. That pay-per-view is incredible. But the ironic thing about it is that I think 98 and 02 are the only installments ever to not feature elimination matches. The 98 pay-per-view had the entire tournament, and that was it. And then the 02 pay-per-view had a lot of great matches, but none of them were elimination tag team i think there was like an elimination triple threat tag team but not like the standard survivor series traditional elimination tag team match um and they they ended up being the two greatest installments they didn't have raw versus smackdown and all this other dumb shit um you know that that we're used to seeing now which kind of waters down the pay-per-view although last year's installment was pretty good but um yeah 98 has got to be in that conversation for being one of the best pay-per-views ever and i say that too in showing my girlfriend the pay-per-view a couple of months ago she doesn't really care about the old stuff too, too much. I showed her a couple of old pay-per-views at the beginning of the pandemic. This was one of them, and she thoroughly enjoyed it, which tells me, okay, this is a pay-per-view. I think a lot of people could watch, regardless of whether they were fans at the time, and enjoy it for the story that was laid out. Not a single, I can't say not memorable, but not like, there, when you really look at the card for how many matches there are, there aren't any instant classics, but there didn't need to be. Because as you said, Randy, the story that was laid out through the entire tournament for the three hours the show lasted for was fucking perfect. It got you hooked. You were waiting to see mankind become the champion because of the corporate, because of the corporation. Um, and then they kind of threw the swerve there in the end. I, I won't spoil everything, but I thought it was just really, really well done overall. So in total, if you count like you know, before the, the, the show went on the air, they have a total of 18 matches um, in that Survivor Series. Woof. Um, if you start right from 
the first match that was on air, Mankind beat Dwayne Gill. <laughs> Al Snow defeated Jeff Jarrett. Stone Cold defeated Big Boss Man. All these are, are tournament matches. Steven yeah. Regal uh, and X-Pac in a double countout. Ken Shamrock beat Goldust. The Rock beat Big Boss Man. Taker beat Kane. Mankind beat Al Snow. The Rock beat Ken Shamrock. Sable beat Jacqueline uh, for the for the women's ch- championship. Mankind beat Stone Cold. And at and, and, and that point I saw this morning, those who forgot, that was a, a, the swerve before the swerve too because everybody thought that Shane McMahon bringing Stone Cold back into the fray of you know, you know, being suspended yep. or whatever. Uh, he thought Shane was on Stone Cold's side. So Stone Cold goes to pin Mankind. And then there's no referees. Shane runs in. He counts one, two, and he stops, and he gives a big F you to Stone Cold. <laughs> like, oh, shit, what's going on? Yeah. And then Stone Cold loses. He, he, he can't be world champion. So it kind of shows they're really behind Mankind. Um, the Rock beat Taker. The Outlaws beat D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry and the Headbangers in a triple threat match for the tag titles. Then you get The Rock beating Mankind. So 18 matches all together. But the longest match on the card was the the, the, the main event at 17 minutes. So not bad. No, that's one of those pay-per-views, I think, where you don't need to have 20-minute classics. I mean, you look at, this is, I know, a while later, but WrestleMania 31 is still one of my favorite WrestleManias ever. Not nearly as many matches as as this Survivor Series. But the, a special thing I remember about that show reading up on after the fact, which I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me while watching the show, <clears throat> was that no match on the show exceeded 15 minutes. Not even like Triple H and Sting, which really surprised me. The main event, Brock and Roman, did not exceed 15 minutes or 16, 17, whatever. Not every match has to be a 30-minute classic. And listen, we're not getting into a current product conversation here. And I love AEW. They did a bit of a better job with this with their recent show. But a lot of their pay-per-views, every fucking match is 20 minutes. I don't need to see Kip Sabian versus, you know, Billy Gunn, who's also currently in AEW and was back in WWE at this point, too, um, for 20 minutes. Not every match has to be 20 minutes. I thought this pay-per-view, I mean, the Attitude Era was kind of known for that. And I'm not a huge Attitude Era fan because of the lack of real great wrestling, although there were a lot of great moments and a lot of good matches, not nearly as much as today. But for a pay-per-view like this, it fucking worked because they didn't just do the top finals of the pay-per-view, of the tournament, or the semifinals. They did, I think, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals on the same show over the course of three hours. It wasn't a four-hour show. And the matches that were short were short. Mick Foley beating Dwayne Gill, the future Gilbert, was a minute or two long. It was not any longer than it needed to be. Uh-huh. It was, you know, it was perfect in that sense. And again, like you said, a lot of different stories going on there. Stone Cold being br- uh, being brought back into the fold. You had Undertaker and Kane kind of continuing their rivalry from the last year. You had The Rock kind of rising up in the background. You know, people wanted to see him become the champion because he was kind of catching on with the fans. Mankind being manipulated by the McMahons. Um, a lot of cool stories. The big boss man entering twice and the rock beating him in like fucking four seconds, which was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the corporation really trying to keep it was like a lot of the authority level bullshit that we would come to expect years later, except 15 years earlier. So it felt fresh and it worked for the story and it made the pay-per-view very entertaining. So I thought, it, again, like I said, the layout was just pure perfection from start to finish. Essentially, I think if, if Triple H had a match that night, it'd be 25 minutes. 
Yeah, probably. I forgot what the story was with him. I don't know. I think he's on the show. He's on. I, I thought I remember seeing him. Or you know what? I think it was supposed to be Triple H and Rock in one of the opening rounds, uh-huh. and they switched it out. I forgot what the story was there. Why he missed the show? I don't think he was injured. I don't know if he no showed. I don't remember. But yeah, if he was on that pay per view, it probably would have been a half an hour longer. Um, let's talk about that swerve at the end. Um, of course, because the year prior they had the Montreal School Job. Yep. With Brett, with, uh, with Brett and Sean, this tell him ring the bell. The same thing happens in in this uh, main event with the Rock and Mankind. And Rock puts the, the sharpshooter on Mankind. Vince tells the, the guy to ring the bell. We have a new world champion, the Rock. I think, I think that's the first time he became a world champion. The uh, Rock, yes. Yep. Yeah. So now you're thinking like, yo, what's going on? I saw it today too. I'm trying to, you know, get back the memories. And you see The Rock and Shane, you see uh, Vince, they all like this, they all hug. <laughs> and then Jim Ross going crazy on commentary. They screwed us, they screwed us all, and all this, you know, they were they were behind the whole damn thing. And you just birth this mega heel character in The Rock. Now, for the next four to five months, he's going up and down with mankind with, you know, and we'll get to it, I quit matches and other, other kind of matches. He, uh, mankind winning the belt on a Raw and, and, and the, the biggest Raw rating at the time. Uh, then you get Stone Cold rivalry. So that element right there at the end, swerving people. And it's like, I, I wasn't upset. I was like, oh, I like this Rock. I like Rock being a bad guy more than a good guy. So if you ask people, people my age or older, when it comes to swerve or heel turns or, or things that happen unexpectedly, when they, when they said the Rock joins a corporation at Survivor Series 98, it has to be one of the biggest swerves they did ever in the company. Yeah, I would say so. I don't know if it's the biggest heel turn they've ever done, but in terms of swerves, it was very well done. Again, I can't speak to like, oh, people didn't see it coming. You would know better than I would. You kind of mentioned it right there. I I have no idea personally what was going on leading up to that point in terms of fans thinking, oh, is this going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. Like a lot like when Hogan turned at Survivor, not Survivor Series, uh, Bash at the Beach in 1996. But yeah, so the swerve was great. It was exactly what needed to be done. Uh, Mankind was just not that guy at that point. And it was a great example of what a double turn could be. And they've done a lot of double turns over the years, but you really got to fucking master it. And it's not like The Rock, again, was being booed and Mankind was being cheered. People were kind of already cheering Mankind. He, he could be a very sympathetic character. The Rock, people were cheering him. So I'm thinking while watching this, why would they turn the guy heel? He's very popular. They they don't need a new top face. They already have Stone Cold Steve Austin, but that was probably their mentality, though. In The Rock already getting popular, they're probably thinking, all right, we have Babyface A1 and AB in Stone Cold Steve Austin in The Rock. You can't have two top babyfaces going into WrestleMania. The Rock is bound to be overshadowed. So as popular as he is right now, we've got to turn one of them, and Stone Cold's still white hot. So let's turn The Rock, because we know we can play that role very well from his days in the Nation of Domination. That's exactly what they did, and they were proven right. It, it crafted a great, great story leading into WrestleMania, where all of the three major characters, not including Vince and Shane, were, th- this kicked off a long-term story between now and WrestleMania 15. Not just with Mankind, as you mentioned, where Mankind would continue to chase the championship, win it on a few different occasions, had a great Rumble match, the great matches on Raw, I Quit, 
um, the uh, Super Bowl halftime heat shell match, which was great too for different reasons. But also, not just Mankind, after the match too, let's not forget, Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out to confront all these guys and kind of like crash the party and then left him laying. I think, unless he got the, unless he, he may have stood tall actually. The last, I, mean, I don't know. I haven't watched it in a couple months. I forget. I know Stone Cold came out at the end of the show. And that was their way of planting the seeds for Stone Cold and Rock. Not immediately, but for WrestleMania a couple months down the road after Stone Cold would win the Rumble and then go on to beat Rock at WrestleMania. And they already had history. They were already feuding over the Intercontinental Championship a year earlier. But this would take that feud from the mid-card level to the main event level. Austin had had his moment earlier on in the year when he became world champion for the first time in 98. This was Rock's moment in becoming the world champion for the first time in 98, albeit as a heel. They needed the top face, a top heel. Mr. McMahon was that top heel, but he wasn't a wrestler. They needed someone else for that role. As great as Mankind was, he didn't really fit that role as well as The Rock eventually would. And I think this was 10 years uh, to the mate, uh, not to, to, to the day, but 10 years removed from WrestleMania 4 when they did the tournament back then. So they, uh, a show like this can only be done every couple of years or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they do it at WrestleMania 4, and they do it here at Survivor Series 10 years later. I mean, unless you're like a king of the ring, I just don't think they haven't, they haven't done that pretty much. I wouldn't say since, but it, 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 probably not so much since then. And I feel like doing a show like that for it just strictly tournament matches for the belt could be something very interesting going forward. But um, then you also got to point out the fact that Stone Cold was champion until September. They had the finish with Kane and Taker at breakdown, and they both pinned them. There's no champion. Taker and Kane go back at it at Judgment Day. Stone Cold is the referee. Nobody wins. And that's the real reason why you get this whole tournament uh, night for mm-hmm. Survivor mm-hmm. Series because there is no world, you had no world champion for three months. I mean, yeah, Taker. <laughs> yeah, I know, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, Taker and Kane were consistently in the mix, too. I forgot to mention that. But, I mean, I think the last time they had done something like that, they haven't really done it recently, but they did do it in 92, obviously, with the Taker and Hogan controversy in late 91. And then leading up to the Rumble, they vacated the championship and then determined the first, you know, not the first, but the next world champion in the Royal Rumble match. So there was like a two-month stretch without a world champion back then, too. But that they didn't have Raw back then. It was a little different than it is than it was in 98 and even today, especially today. They would... I think the closest they came to doing that was in 2013. Um, Daniel Bryan won the championship at a pay-per-view from Randy Orton right after the birth of the authority stuff, ironically enough. And like the referee counted quickly on purpose. So Bryan could be vacated of the championship. They kept it abeyant, quote unquote. That's what the, the fucking word they used. Um, and they kept it vacant for like a month. That was the only other time I could, I remember the title being vacant for that long. Um, but just a few different things that you mentioned I wanted to chip in on. You said that Stone Cold was champion from Mania to September. He was, except for one day, because he did lose to Kane at the King of the Ring pay-per-view in that first blood match, and then he won it back from Kane the next night on the Raw. So it wasn't a consistent reign. He did lose it and then mm-hmm. win it back right. <clears throat> in, the, in June. And then also, they have done a tournament like this since then. I, I'm sure they've done tournaments like this for like the World Heavyweight title. For the WWE title, the one that comes to mind from recently was actually also at Survivor Series five years ago. They didn't do the entire tournament at the pay-per-view itself. They did the semifinals and then the finals at Survivor Series five years ago. 
and it was Roman and Ambrose. The tournament wasn't bad. The way the layout just wasn't good at all. It was after Rollins got hurt and he had to vacate the title. That's what happened. And they did a tournament. Roman beats Ambrose in a very uneventful match. That was when Sheamus cashed in the briefcase, became champion. One of the worst endings in the pay-per-view's fucking history. It was a complete joke. No one cared. The product was awful. The exact opposite of what they did in 98. And I remember going into that pay-per-view, people were hoping, oh, Deadly Games 2.0, let's call it Deadly Games. Let's turn Roman heel because that was when he was getting really booed. Let's turn him heel and make him the rock. It would make perfect sense. Nope. If it makes sense, they're probably not going to do it. And that's exactly what happened. And they fucking kept Roman a baby face and they put the belt on Sheamus who no one really gave a fuck about at that point. So it's just the exact opposite of this pay-per-view in 98 where it was just working Oh, so well, you had the rock backed by the McMahons who were the most hated people in all of wrestling. And that includes WCW at that point. Stone Cold was still hot in pursuit of the championship. He went on to win the rumble. Mankind got over in losing. He got over in defeat, which is something very rare, but he got over in defeat here. And it just worked. Everything about this pay-per-view just worked really, really well. And again, it's a pay-per-view I can go back and watch 20 years later, and it still holds up to this day. So, again, if you're watching on Twitter or YouTube, we're celebrating the 22-year anniversary of 1998 Survivor Series, which makes 22 years tomorrow. Uh, we're talking about The Rock's uh, timeline as the corporate champion from Survivor Series until WrestleMania 15. So, at the Survivor Series, you get to rock bottom pay-per-view and The Rock... Uh, defends the title against Mankind. Mankind wins by knockout. Uh, I don't recall that match too uh, too well. I know Mankind won the match, but he, I, I don't think he was... I don't think he was champion. So he might have won the match. I could be totally wrong, but I don't think he was awarded the champion. Um, when was this again? At, at Rock Bottom, the month after Survivor Series. Yeah, no, he wouldn't win the belt for the first time since until that Raw, that first oh. Raw of 99. So, yeah, I don't remember. I, I, I've i seen the pay-per-view. I just honestly have no recollection of, of what happened exactly. So then we go from rock bottom, and they're going to continue this until forever, uh, which is fine <laughs> back then. Nowadays, people get people just you know, lose sight. Um, you yep, get to that Raw, which is taped in late December, or shown that first week of January what you have, Mankind, The Rock for the title. And mind you, <laughs> just a period The Rock is not wrestling in his normal tights. If you recall, he had the green shirt on, the black track pants, and I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> so that night is very important to the company because you had Nitro going at it along with Raw, and Nitro got wind of what the, what the main event was. And they, you know, I remember Tony Schiavone saying, you know, on the other channel, you got Mick Foley who wrestled here as Cactus Jack is going to win their world title. That'll put butts in the seats. And they, they said it pretty confident. Like, they, ain't nobody going to watch Big Out Mankind and The Rock. Lo and behold, 500,000 people changed from Nitro to Raw to watch the main event on Raw. And Nitro main event was, uh, I think it was Hogan and Nash for the, uh, for the title. That was the finger poker doom night. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you go see Raw, great match with The Rock and, uh, and Mankind, everybody around the ring and just, okay. And then Stone Cold comes out, he helps Mankind with the belt, the crowd goes crazy, Mankind's world champion for the first time. 
and it was like, whoa, like holy shit, like they really pulled this off. Like that, I mean, I I didn't I didn't mind mankind being champion. It just it, it's something different. But that night changed a lot of things for that company and also for for Nitro and WCW. No, it definitely did. That was obviously someone asked me recently what like what event turned the tide in the Monday Night Wars and whether it was the Montreal screw job. I think the tide was already turned in WCW's favor by 96 with the bash heel turn with the Hogan heel turn, the creation of the NWO. It didn't turn back in WWE's favor until 99 with this specifically this raw. That was really what kicked off from a business standpoint, a great 99 for them um, and ended up winning the Monday night wars almost consistently every week from that point forward. Um, you know, I made uh, for amazing, an amazing moment. One of the greatest raw moments in history. It wasn't like it was any ordinary raw that just so happened to do a better rating than WCW. I don't remember anything about the Raw itself, but the main event with Rock and Mankind was a great moment, and it's also one of the biggest pops you will ever fucking hear um, with Stone Cold Steve Austin coming out and costing Rock the championship. Amazing, amazing, amazing pop. And it wasn't like he was hurt at the time. He was around. He was kind of feuding with the, uh, the, the corporation at that point, and then he would help Mick Foley win. Just a great moment, and that, yeah, absolutely kicked off... Um, Kind of the winning side for WWF in the one in the uh, Monday Night Wars. So now you have mankind as uh, world champion. Just cool. It's different. It, he ain't Stone Cold. He ain't The Rock. He ain't Taker. But it's is something different. And you figure with him being there so long, going through ups and downs and character changes, putting the belt on him wouldn't be so bad. So now you go through this hot potato with him and him and The Rock. So the beginning of January, mankind is world champion. You get to the Royal Rumble of 99. So 99 Royal Rumble is, is key for a lot of uh, a few things. One, you get McMahon winning the Royal Rumble, which you, which you hate. <laughs> One of the worst which, Rumbles. Which you hate. Hate it. Well, I don't mind because it, it played to the storyline that, that, that was prolonging until WrestleMania. For sure. I get that. And that night, you get The Rock and Mankind in an I Quit match, which... I kind of match you won't have nowadays with the, with the headshots and everything. So, to me, when it comes to that rivalry with, with, with the Rock and Mankind, that's probably my favorite match that they had. Um, it was violent. It was gruesome. It was everything that you wanted to have in, in, in a world title match. When you go back and look at the I Quit match from the Rock and Mankind at the 99 Royal Rumble, what does it hold for you as far as high regard, as far as Title matches, their rivalry, I quit matches, all that good stuff. Well, I did say before, just to correct myself, I, I said that after Survivor Series, Stone Cold went on to win the Rumble. I got my timeline mixed up. Obviously, he won in 98. It was McMahon who won in 99. I got my timeline mixed up. But with the match itself between Mankind and Rock, it is a great match. It's one of those polarizing matches. And I can I, I kind of think of like Omega and Page, uh, Omega and uh, Moxley from last year's Full Gear pay-per-view was that lights out match that was really, really extreme with the fucking glass and shit. I thought it was a great match. A lot of people have made them uncomfortable. It was too violent. This was kind of that version of that in 98 or 99 rather. Um, it is a great match. It's just the cheer shots, knowing now what we know, Obviously, for the time, it was great. I never want to see that again. It was just like disgusting in a word in terms of like the chair shots that Foley was taking. And it was his choice, too. Um, just the way that Foley or that Rock laid him in, just just gross. And obviously, that was the subject or part of the uh, a big part of that Beyond the Mat documentary where 
Foley's kids are watching in the front row, fucking crying, watching their dad get the shit kicked out of him more than usual. And he was gloomed for punishment back then, but like that's just a step too far. But it did solidify Rock as not only being a great heel and like always entertaining, he was a ruthless badass when he wanted to, too. And he needed that extra edge going into WrestleMania where he wasn't just like going to be run over or steamrolled over by Stone Cold Steve Austin. He needed that aggressive side um, added to his character, and he got it in this match. He got it in that feud and beating up a sympathetic character in Mankind. I, I'm not a big fan of the whole hot potato title change thing. Um, for 99, I think it worked. Again, I wasn't a fan back then, so it's really kind of hard to say. If I was watching now, I'd probably be like, I fucking, maybe I would hate it. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. But the characters work so well where you kind of had to give Mick Foley his moment. Like, I guess nowadays they wouldn't do this. Nowadays, they would keep the belt on someone from point A to point B. Rock would have never lost the belt. But at the same time, like, for example, when when punk was champion for so long a couple of years ago or actually it'd be like eight years ago at this point ryback was getting real hot but they wanted to keep the belt on 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 punk so it meant more when he lost it which i understand but in sacrificing that ryback loss that night when he lost to punk he lost all that momentum and he never got it back mankind had he not won the championship during this feud he i mean he was already kind of a main eventer anyway he may not he may have never gotten that extra world championship win he may have never become world champion that was the right time to do it. And again, had he never won the title, maybe the Monday Night Wars would not have turned back in WWE's favor. Maybe eventually, but probably not on that night. So I'm glad they seared away from the original plan. I don't know if that was the original plan or not. Maybe they were always planning on putting the belt on Folio for a couple weeks. But the whole thing just works so well. And um, that I Quit match would probably be the best of the bunch. The Again, the halftime heat. Super Bowl empty arena match is a guilty pleasure of mine. But the best match they probably had was the one of the Rumble in 99. Wow, I totally forgot about that. So that that empty arena match was before the Rumble. It was after the Rumble. It was in early after. February. Yeah. Oh, for, for Super Bowl. Okay. So what uh, happened was, I think Mankind wins the belt on Raw. Rock right. wins it back at the Rumble. Foley right. wins it on the halftime Heat Super Bowl show, like a week or two later. And then Rock won it back, I think either on the next night's Raw or like eight days later or something. He won it back on Raw in like some sort of like another I quit or a last man standing or something like that. Um, right before WrestleMania. I don't think it was at like the, it may have been to the St. Valentine's day massacre pay-per-view. I don't think so. I thought it was on raw, but yeah, they, 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 they traded the title back and forth a couple of times in like a month or two period. Um, mankind walked into St. Valentine's day massacre as champion. Okay. So we lost it there. He lost it in a last man standing match. All right. I thought that was on Raw, but okay, that was in the pay-per-view. That makes sense. I mean, that rivalry, look. It went like the, three months. You get the Survivor Series uh, screw job. You get a uh, Mankind winning by knockout at rock bottom. You get the Monday Night Raw victory by Mankind. You get Rock winning at the Rumble in an I Quit match. You get Mankind at the Arena match winning it back. And the Rock wins it back at, at, at Massacre. Like that is a that. I mean, we can go back in the archives see what better run, you know, was that. But that run between Mankind and the Rock and that rivalry, I, can it be beat? Sure, but it, it's tough to beat that that kind of array of matches. I quit Last Man Standing, Survivor Series, the Tournament Finals. It's a lot. It's a lot. 
it's underrated too because i feel like it's one of those feuds where unlike rock and triple h or like taker and kane obviously it's not a feud that was run back again after that point like the only other time these two interacted beyond this was when they teamed up for the rock and sock connection that was that they never actually feuded again after this i don't think anyway um because by late 99 i think rock was already back to being a baby face and mankind won the championship for like a night at SummerSlam, and then that was it by 2000 foley was pretty much done as a full-time competitor so they never actually did the feud again it only lasted three months but for a very short feud it's very underrated because i feel like it kind of gets lost underneath you know austin and mcmahon and austin and um austin and rock and uh taker and kane and you know triple h and whoever um it kind of gets lost in that shuffle but it is a great feud great booking made mankind a star more even more solidified rock as a star and all in the meanwhile you have austin feuding with mcmahon leading into saint valentine's day massacre where austin beats mcmahon in the steel cage main event to win back the title shot to face the rock at wrestlemania which he ended up winning so it's just a very well crafted story it's not like austin was off tv where he was irrelevant or facing fucking al snow on raw every week maybe he was i don't know but it never really felt like he was lost in the shuffle at that point because he had an equally important storyline going on simultaneously with vince mcmahon so I, I i want you i need you to go more in depth with that underrated because when you look at it the rogers had many rivalries with stone cold with triple h with taker king kurt angle all that good stuff but as you mentioned the one rivalry the rock had with mankind happens to be the most underrated man uh, underrated uh rivalries he, uh, he had so what what makes it underrated for you as a fan watching i know you weren't around back then to watch it live yeah but when you always hear Stone Cold, you always hear Triple H, what makes the Mankind rock rivalry so underrated that, that people don't talk about it as much nowadays? Well, again, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not even saying that it was the best for you to come out of that 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 era. I think I even ranked when we did Attitude Era Week on Bleach Report earlier this year, back in April, I think. I think I even did an article of like the top rivalries from that period. And I think I put this at three. I think I put this at three. I put Rock and Austin at two. And then Austin and McMahon at one. I would still say that. I'm just saying it's underrated in the sense that not a lot of people talk about it. The matches were great. It turned the tide in WC or WWE's favor in the Monday Night Wars. That's three. Four, it made Mankind a star. And five, Solidified Rock is even more of a star. So I think it was also not only entertaining, it made for great TV, but it also was effective like we talked about earlier to go full circle here in terms of elevating people. Because as much as I love that Hollywood Rock run, did it really elevate anyone? It doesn't always have to elevate someone. I'll say that much. It doesn't always have to elevate somebody, but it does help. The Hollywood Rock run, he lost to Goldberg, and that was it. It wasn't like it made a new star. This made a star to mankind, even more of a star, because he already was a star by this point, but it made him like a, a great baby face that people can kind of get behind. Um, and then you also had The Rock as well doing their thing. And up to that point, it was all about Austin. And he still was in the, in the mix at this point with McMahon. But the title picture was all about Austin from like early 98 until the end of 98. So for a couple of months there, it was all about rock and mankind. And it wasn't like, oh, if Austin's not in the picture, maybe fans won't be interested. No, they took people, two people who weren't really all that established, who were not former world champions before this feud. Rock won his world first world title on this feud. Mankind won his, won his first world title on this feud. And they both became bigger stars because of it. And because we're even talking about it right now, makes me think that it's one of the greatest rivalries to ever happened not the best from that era because i think even the best rivalries in company history came from that fucking era um coincidentally enough but it was just super effective it was entertaining and i don't think we'd be talking about how great some of these matches and moments were 
if they weren't as great as they are. I don't think we'd be talking about them if they weren't as great as they are. So as far as to you, as far as added to error rivalries, mm-hmm. Austin McMahon, number one, Rock Austin, two, yep. Rock Mankind, three. Correct. And I think I put Taker Kane at four. Um, I, I I could probably look up the list. I think I did the top seven. So you think, really, Rock, you think Rock and Mankind is better than I'm, I'm, I'm playing Avenue. You think Rock and Mankind is better than Taker and Kane? Yes, from the Attitude Era. I'm not talking about of all time. I did Attitude right, Era yeah. rivalry. So I'm talking about the, the, the Taker Kane feud. I mean, maybe I'd have to go back and look at my list. I'm just kind of going off the top of my head right now. I'm talking about in the Attitude Era because I feel like Taker and Kane, it was such a great feud from late 97 to 98. Mm-hmm. You really got to compare it. It made a star out of Kane. Taker was always going to be the same no matter what. They never had the level of matches that Rock and Mankind did, and they were never in the main event mix. It was just a great kind of upper mid-card feud going into WrestleMania. I'm just kind of comparing the two. It's really tough because you could say Taker and Kane is at number three. All time, Taker and Kane would take the cake because they've interacted so much over the last two decades. Right. Their their stories are synonymous one, with one another. I would put that above Rock and Mankind, but in terms of... 97 through 2001 or 96 or whenever you start the Attitude Era, I'd probably put Rock and Mankind before that just because it was more effective, more entertaining, made for better TV. Not that Taker and Kane was bad. Taker and Kane's one of the greatest feuds ever. It, that, that's the thing, dude. That era is so good in terms of feuds and storytelling. Right. It, it's so fucking hard. It's like I'm not even – to put that at four is ridiculous. But when you compare it to, to the other three, when you compare it to the other three, it's not as strong, at least in my opinion. So right. that's why I say that. So before we, before we uh, move on from Rock and Mankind, so if you were to rank the matches they had in that rivalry, which is Survivor Series, the Rock Bottom, the the Raw, Rumble, at the Arena, Massacre. So about six matches. Yeah. How would you rank them? What's the best one, and what's you know? How would you say one through six? It's so tough to say. I would have had to watched. I would have had to have watched them all recently. It's been a while since I've seen a few of them. I saw the Survivor Series one a couple of months ago, and I really liked it. I would probably put that towards the top. The best would probably be the Rumble one. I mean, I guess it depends on who you talk to, because again, some people really don't like that match for the chair shots and stuff, and I get that. Right. That would probably be number one for me. That would be one. The Survivor Series match would be two. No, that would be three. Two would either be the last man standing match or the raw match. Probably the raw match. I'd probably put that at two survivor series last man standing. I'd have to go back and watch it. That might be above the survivor series match. So that's four right there. Um, halftime heat in the rock bottom match. It's not that it's bad, but it's so forgettable compared to the other ones. I think I'd put that at dead last. The halftime heat match isn't really a match obviously, but it's more fun and it's more memorable yeah. than the rock bottom match. So that's probably what I would do. That, that ranking would probably change if I watched the matches back all, you know, just now though. So on the other side to this upcoming rivalry with, with the rock and stone cold McMahon wins the rumble. He defends that honor against Stone Cold in the Steel Cage match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre. You get the debut of the Big Show in that in that match as well. I think most some would forget about that. Not most, some would forget about that. And Stone Cold wins that match. So now you have a month to promote Stone Cold and The Rock for the championship in the main event at WrestleMania 15. Um, I don't think you, I don't think you need much promotion 
for that. At the same time, they already had a couple matches here and there a year uh, ago prior for the IC belt. So again, people today will be like, oh, you know, you got to save this one match until WrestleMania. But no, lo and behold, you've had Stone Cold and The Rock at in your house, DX and Monday Night Raw. That they fought a few times, but now mm-hmm. they're both in the main event um, platform. Now you get to now you get to WrestleMania 15. I forgot the build to it as far as like what they were saying and what you know what was going on. All, all I knew is when I was a kid, I get Stone Cold, I get The Rock, yeah. for the world title, WrestleMania. I don't care what goes on; it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great match. Then you also add in the fact that Shawn Michaels was was um, the new sheriff in town. He was the he was something the commissioner you know, or something. The commissioner. Yeah. Yeah. So I just You get man. I think I think you get Cher. mankind. <laughs> hey, they did have Sheriff Steve Austin. I think I think he was yeah. the sheriff of Raw. So yeah. you're not you're not far off. Uh, I mean, again, just seeing Shawn Michaels back uh, was was cool. As a good guy, the year prior he was a bad guy with DX, and you get mankind in the in, in, as a referee in that main event too. And you get The Rock as the youngest world champion in the company history at that time, walking into the main event at WrestleMania 15 against Stone Cold, uh, two of the biggest icons at that time. Still to this day, I think for me, when when they when they uh, main event WrestleMania three times, I know 19 was you know lower to the card, not the actual main event. It was supposed to be though. To be fair, it was it was going to be. I think. I think. I think Stone Cold has said that it was supposed to be. And then, like the day of, when they found out that he was injured, that his neck couldn't really go, they put Brock and Angle in the main event instead. So I think I'm pretty sure that was the case. Right. Um, and plus, that was the only match they went at it at Mania non-title. So true. Yep. So WrestleMania 15. What do you recall the most from that? I think most would say WrestleMania 17 goes above 15 as far as Rocky Stone Cold matches, but. Tell me something about a WrestleMania 15 match that still doesn't get talked about enough today. Um, I don't know. I mean, the match itself, I think, is very good. I would put the 17 match over it. I'd have to watch it back because I think I've actually grown to like the WrestleMania 17 match more. I wasn't always the biggest fan of it because I was I didn't never like the finish with how they dragged out the whole Austin heel turn and shit. But I, you know, I don't know if I would call it the greatest main event ever. I mean, we've already talked about the greatest main events and shit. It would be up there, though. It, I would put it over fifteen. I remember the build. I mean, I wasn't watching live for any of this, but I remember more of the build for seventeen than I do for fifteen. You know, maybe just the My Way video package. That's probably why. Um, but the ninety-nine build in terms of storytelling was well done. What I think people don't talk about enough about this match that I was just thinking about when you were mentioning all of that. Not about the match itself, which was very good. It was more of like a wrestling wrestling match because when Austin came back from his injury um, in 2000 or late 2000, whatever, he just wasn't the same. I mean, he wasn't the same after the neck injury from Owen either. But, I mean, the other neck injury just made it fucking worse when he was out for like close to a year. Um, but this was still a very good match. I would probably, I would definitely put it over him and Sean from the year before. I thought that was a good match, not great. I thought their King of the Ring match from the year before was better. This was better than that. One thing I don't think people talk about enough about this match. I say it every fucking year. I, I hate this about WrestleMania every year. That every WrestleMania for the last 
decade now has been main evented in some form or fashion with a main event or with a part-timer in the mix. You literally look up and down the line for the last 10 years. We've either had Brock Lesnar in the main event. We've had Undertaker in the main event. Batista, who was a part-timer at the time. Triple H has been in the main event. All these fucking people. John Cena, The Rock, up, you name them, they've been in the main event. 99. We got to remember this, too. And we, com- uh, we didn't really talk about this. Bret Hart was gone in 97. Was left in 98. That's you two of your biggest stars from the 90s are fucking gone. They got to create new stars. They created one in Mankind. They brought in Big Show who wasn't a star right off the bat, but he took him time, but he did. But they made two new stars in Austin and Rock, who a year earlier had never been either of them had ever been world champion. Um, Stone Cold won his first world champion the year before in main eventing mania, but it wasn't like he was this multi-time. I mean, he was a multi-time champion by that point, but he wasn't like the Roman reigns of the company. He hadn't been there for that long. He was still a relatively new face in 99 was Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was only around for maybe like a year and a half in the main event mix of things. Rock was also very new in terms of the main event scene. They had obviously Vince involved and stuff like that, but there was no part-timer. They didn't bring in fucking Hulk Hogan to be in the match and make it a triple threat. They didn't bring back uh, Shawn Michaels. Bret Hart was gone. Taker wasn't in the match, and he had been there for almost 10 years by that point. Two new guys that go on last, and I think that WrestleMania is not that good at all, but the main event is great. It's a very good main event that creates two guys that can become those part-timers years on. That's the equivalent to that would be like if we had Drew McIntyre in the main event, even though he's been here on and off for a long time. He's still a relatively new face in the main event. That would be like if we had McIntyre in the main event with like Kevin Owens or something like that, or I don't fucking know. Uh, not Kofi, but you, you know what? Like Braun Strowman or someone like that. Like you don't really see that nowadays. Two new guys that have never that aren't haven't won the title twenty four times in the main event of WrestleMania, and it worked. It didn't feel out of place. It was a great match. They sold that WrestleMania solely on that match. It definitely wasn't Undertaker, Big Boss Man, the fucking Hell in the Cell, which sucked. Oh, yeah. uh, it was this match. So that's one thing about this pay per view, or specifically this match. I don't think people talk about enough. And it was what um, the first of three consecutive main events for The Rock at WrestleMania: '99, 2000, that Fatal Four Way, mm-hmm. and WrestleMania 17 with, with, with Stone Cold. Stone Cold had back-to-back main events in '98, '99, came back in '01, and so Stone Cold only made events at WrestleMania three times. The mm-hmm. Rock made events at WrestleMania. 99, 2001. In 2013. In 2013. So four. No, no, 12 and 13. 12 and 13. With John Cena. Yeah, they, yeah, they made it twice. I forgot the second one was, was for the title, but yeah, they actually right. both made it So actually five times he made it yes. So the Rock made it to WrestleMania five times compared to Stone Cold. I think, you know, Stone Cold was, was hurt. And, well, I mean, uh, if you don't count the return run, had Stone Cold Steve Austin ever come back for another run, he would have made event at least one or two more times. I mean, Rock had we not had he not come back, he only would have gotten three. So to be fair, in their active primes, they only got three runs each. Mm. I mean, dropping it like fucking five or something by this point. So <laughs> I think they they went at it again the month after Backlash. Uh, they did, and that was actually almost an even better match, honestly. Mm. 
I think that might have even been a better match than WrestleMania itself from in terms of an in-ring standpoint. I watched that pay-per-view back earlier this year. That's a much better pay-per-view. It's a better match. And the pop for Austin, when he comes out, that was a better story, too, because it was like, oh, is Austin going to come out to help Rock? And he did. Um, wait a second. No, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I'm thinking of Triple H and Rock. Mm-hmm. That he came out to help him, and that big pop when he came out—that was in 2000 and 99. It was—it was just rock. I'm—I'm I'm I'm mixing up my shit here, but Rock and Austin at 99 Backlash, in my opinion, is still a better match than the WrestleMania match. So yeah, they, I think yeah. they had those two matches. I don't think they had another one on pay per view after that until like no. 01. I think I might be wrong, but I think they went in their different directions after that. Yeah, I think that was uh, the 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 buried alive match at Backlash, which. I know it was a dope match. I haven't seen it in a long time. So if I was trying to rank Buried Alive, WrestleMania 15, WrestleMania 17, In Your House, DX, whatever it was, I think that WrestleMania 15 would just... I mean, again, you had to you had to live it to experience it. Yeah, 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 for sure. It was like, whoa, two of the biggest stars in the company that still making new stars mm-hmm. is now the main event for the world title the Rock, the youngest world champion, walking into a WrestleMania main event. Stone Cold, white hot. The Rock is red hot. Um, you get the the mankind as as the referee. So you just knew this wasn't going to end any anytime soon. But they get buried alive match at Backlash. Stone Cold wins that match, and then you don't get the Rock and Stone Cold for quite some time. And even by that was April. By the time July comes, Rock is a good guy. Rock is. Shitting on Jericho when Jericho um, debuts in, in in August. So three months later, The Rock is a good guy, and, and Stone Cold. I think he goes into a program with Triple H. He gets yeah, hurt. so I, I don't. Ninety nine is a little bit blurry for me beyond this stuff. I know it was Austin, Triple H, and Mankind in the SummerSlam main event. I remember that because Jesse Ventura was that special guest ref, which is incredibly random, but I think he was running for governor at that point. I don't know. I don't know why he was there. Maybe because it was the 10-year anniversary of Survivor Series because he was the referee for the first Survivor Series. Whatever. But he was there. Uh, Mankind won it that night in the triple threat. Triple H won it the next night for Mankind. Right. Big Show is in the mix at that point. Big Show in the belt, that Survivor Series. A lot of people won their first world title within like a year and a half of each other when you think about it. Stone Cold at ninety at uh, WrestleMania 98. Rocket Survivor Series 98. Mankind at um, on the first Raw of 99. Big Show at Survivor Series that year. And Triple H in the night after SummerSlam in 99. That's five top-tier talents. And Kane, six actually, because he won it in summer of 98. That's six top talents that are all Hall of Famers, or will soon be Hall of Famers, winning their first world titles in the span of a year and a half. That's unbelievable. I'm trying to see the timeline real quick before I let you go. So it was a, a no holds barred match at Backlash with, with Stone Cold and The Rock, not Buried Alive. Oh, yeah. I was uh, going to say, Buried Alive sounded weird. I don't think there's ever been a Buried Alive without Taker in it. So I was going to say, I don't know if you were talking about something else. But, yeah, that was no holds barred, though. You know, you know what got me confused? The Rock cut a promo. Mm-hmm. On Raw, and he had the hearse out. He had the the, the 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 dirt. He had a picture of Stone Cold in the dirt, and saying, "We're gonna say something for Stone uh, Stone Cold, biggest piece of trailer park trash." And it was something like that. There was a bird alive match somewhere, and they yeah. have a fight yeah. in that in that set. Um, then you get, then you get, No Mercy of '99. 
is the Rocky before uh, Stone Cold defeated Triple H and Taker in the main event. The there was Rocky, that UK pay per view, I think. No Mercy. There were two No Mercies in '99. Yeah, one of them was a UK pay per view. All right, so we have that. Then we have <clears throat> Over the Edge. Where's the Rock at? Um, we find a Rock to go off. The Rock beat Triple H. And then Taker beat Stone Cold for the belt. Okay. And, and then that's where you get, okay, now we get to King of the Ring 99. Where's, uh, the Taker beat The Rock. Um, Taker is still champion. And Vince and Shane beat Stone Cold in a ladder match for control of the WWF. <laughs> that I remember, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, two more. You get to Fully Loaded. I think you mentioned SummerSlam with Ventura. So Fully Loaded 99. Stone Cold beat Taker in a first blood match. I remember that. And Triple H beat The Rock in a fully loaded strap match to determine the number one contender for SummerSlam the month later. Then you get uh, Hunter beat Hunter beat The Rock. Oh, okay. Hunter beat The Rock. Okay. And then I remember you get the rock and like Billy Gunn at SummerSlam. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that too. That was after Billy Gunn won the fucking King of the Ring, and it just it completely. <laughs> um. So to to put a wrap on it, I didn't actually about the rivalry with Stone Cold and the Rock. I think that, I think that's the biggest rivalry outside of McMahon and, and, and Austin. In totality, Attitude Era or not, that, that happens to be the biggest rivalry ever. Um. Can that ever surpass McMahon and, and Austin? Or do you think it just the fact that how that wave was, it's hard to beat. The Rock and Stone Cold rivalry is hard to beat Stone Cold and McMahon. Do you think it can ever surpass that? I mean, every, what's done is done. I mean, the only way it would surpass it if it was if it continued or they continue right. to build upon their legacies. I mean, it's done. You yeah. know, it's not like they're they will ever revisit it in a major fashion in one of these shows. For example, I mean, you don't you don't see we did get one segment with Stone Cold and Rock backstage at WrestleMania like 10 years ago, but they've had no further interaction since then. Taker and uh, St Stone Cold and Vince have had multiple. Like, anytime Stone Cold has come back, he has either stunned Vince. Like, it has lasted over 20 years. Um, if you were to tell me Austin and Rock is better than Austin and McMahon, it's not an outrageous opinion. I just think... McMahon and Austin is better, and I think there's more people who feel that way than the other way around. But again, that feud is so great. It's like one A and one B. So if you said that Austin and Rock was better, it's not really that. It's not that. It's not that big of a deal. It's not like what are you talking about? It's not like you're saying like fucking. I don't know. The, the Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose was better or something like that. I don't know. Like I, I love those guys. We're not talking about. Just mm -hmm. dumb opinions. That just that that's just not even true. That that's like if you said all oh, the shield is better than like the four horsemen. Like okay, good, just log off. Like get out of here. You know what I mean? Right. Or, like or better than DX or some shit like that. But yeah, I it, I don't think it could ever be surpassed. It's it's got to be number one. Uh, McMahon and and Austin and number one. It just it just it goes well beyond the ring. You, you talked about the build for ninety nine. You don't really remember much about it aside from maybe a promo or two. There's so many moments that you remember from Rock. Uh, that you remember from McMahon and Austin, including some matches, like yeah. the ladder match, the Rumble, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre match, none of which were that great, but you remember them. 
the in moment, the promos, yeah. in the segments, in the matches is what you remember. And honestly, in wrestling, that might be even more important than some of the matches. So that's why I put it in number one. Uh, last question I got for you, for those who've been watching on YouTube and Twitter, I thank you guys. I appreciate it. Before I let Graham out of here, uh, how would you, this time period for The Rock, so if, if any, any event in time that I was to meet The Rock or if you were to meet The Rock and tell him, hey, Rock, listen, Let's talk about that time you were corporate champion, how important that, that time frame was to your career. What would you tell him? How would you describe this corporate time frame as being historic and vital to the Ross career? Well, I don't know if I could bring myself to even ask that question if I ever met the guy. I'd be just in awe of him. I mean, you met Stone Cold Steve Austin. She plugged the pictures right there next to you, which is fucking sick. You and Joe Cruz right there. I mean, that's, that's right. great picture. That's right. Great that's picture. Amazing. Yeah, WrestleMania New Orleans, WrestleMania 34 weekend. I, I remember when you first posted that picture, I was so fucking jealous. And not, <laughs> I was je that jealous that time and also jealous when you said you ran into Rusev at a shoe store in New York yeah. a couple of years ago. No, it was um, Foot Locker in um, New Orleans. Oh, oh, that was in New Orleans too? Holy yeah. shit. And listen, man, listen, listen, I met Stone Cold, but you talk over the phone with Hunter, with <laughs> Finn Balor, with Kevin Owens. With Seth Rollins, I'm missing so many people. So at least you talked to them for 15, 20 minutes. I missed Stone Cold. I was in and out like that. Nice, I would love to. I would love to meet Stone Cold. I would love to meet The Rock. But if I had the chance, in, in an alternate universe, if I had the chance to interview The Rock, and even if it was about you know the game plan two or fucking Hobbs and Shaw part five or something, I would squeeze in a corporate champion question just because we're talking about it here. He would. You're, are you asking what he would say about it? How he would feel about it? Yeah, like if you would say, or better yet, let me let me, let me uh, rephrase that. I'm asking you how important and vital the corporate time frame for his career. What, how important was him being the corporate champion for him being in uh, for his career? That whole time frame, rivalry with mankind, rivalry with Stone Cold. How important this time frame was it for The Rock? Huge. And I think, again, if you asked him that, he would say the exact same thing. I don't think there is any period that is more crucial to his career than that one. And I know he loves the Nation of Domination, and that was huge, too. Without the Nation of Domination, the guy probably would have floundered to, like, fucking Sean Stasiak or something and, and, and just rode off into the distance. And we would have never heard from him again. That heel turn was really what saved his career. In terms of a run, again, if you say Nation of Domination... That makes sense just because it did make him into the heel that we know that we later got to see during this run. That corporate champion role, I mean, just really put him over the top, though. I mean, it really did. I mean, he may have become champion at some point, but without the pop and circle, like, he was being cheered at this point. So if you just turn him heel, people probably would have been like, I mean, why? Like, it just would have made no sense. But because he was with McMahon, you had no choice but to boo him. If anyone's with McMahon, it's hard to it's hard to cheer for them. And I guess unless it's Austin at WrestleMania 17, they're in his home fucking town, which was stupid. But with Rock, though, it just made sense to do it here. The double turn was great. So crucial to his career and the success, the success that he would experience at that point and later on. Massive. I mean, there's just, there's no, there's no... You know, there's no comparison. I mean, with the corporation, too, again, you know what, Randy, I, some stables, I just don't give a fuck about <laughs> the authority. The authority and gender are my top two things I just don't like. If you ever made, if you ever brought back the authority with gender, I'd probably quit watching wrestling. Oh, but boy. the corporation was an early version of the authority, and it just worked. 
it made a new star out of out of the rock it wasn't running to the ground the whole oh austin and mcmahon thing not yet anyway it would be in, in the years that followed but by 99 98 it was still fresh so mcmahon was a great heel pair him off with another superstar who could be a great heel and it was a pairing that worked and you have great foils a great faction is only as good as the people who oppose them so you put in great baby faces like a stone cold and a mankind it was a joint effort it was a group effort everyone played their roles remarkably well and it made for one of the greatest time periods in wwe history then that shows in the ratings and we're not just saying that you should look at the ratings and it reflects that way in the ratings specifically for raw and they made new stars, and that was really all what it comes down to in the absence of Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and people like that. So for that alone, you got to give him two thumbs up, and it's a big part of his career, and I think he would tell you the same exact thing. So for you, you would you you, you would you like the corporation better than, than the authority, right? Um, so, yeah, I think it, it, it's it's a toss up, but yeah, I, I would say that it's a uh, you know a little it's it's safe to say. Yeah, no, it's a great faction. The authority sucks. Uh, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We've had 11 members of the corporation, more than the authority, right? Yeah, the authority didn't have that many. Now, the corporation, is that including like the McMahon-Helmsley regime too? Because after a while, it did get watered down. I mean, every faction kind of experiences that. But the authority was at like no point grade, so that's why I say that. No, I think the corporation, I think the, the McMahon-Helmsley is different than the okay. corporation. So you have, real quick, Vince, obviously, The mm. Rock, and Shamrock. Yes. Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, Slaughter, Shawn Michaels. Big Boss Man in there too? Kane? Okay. China, Big Show, Triple H. I thought Boss Man was in here. Was Boss Man not a part of the corporation? He should be. And I don't know what they did. Then Wikipedia fucked up then. Maybe maybe he was pre-corporation, dude. Maybe he was like the whole Survivor Series thing, but when the corporation kind of officially formed, he wasn't a part of it, which makes no sense to me, but... I got him. Vince, Shane, Big Boss Man, The Rock, Ken Shamrock, Pat Patterson, Jared Briscoe, Slaughter, Shawn Michaels, Test, Kane, China, Big Show, Hunter, Pete Gass, and Rodney. Okay, some of those people are just completely random, and that was by late 99. <laughs> that was by 99 when they had, like, fucking, they were doing the whole lover or leave her match at SummerSlam, which is actually a really good match, by the way, um, SummerSlam 99. That was when it kind of was like, okay, this is stupid. But yeah, it, for the first six months or so, I would say it was pretty effective. Except Pete Gas. Jesus um, Christ. Yeah, they didn't do Stephanie and all that till, till later on. Um, no, that, make, that makes sense. That was like yeah. the, the McMahon Helmsley regime, I think, was after WrestleMania 2000 when all the McMahons reunited, even though they were all feuding like a week before. That was <laughs> stupid. That was dumb. Um, but in, in 98, 99, it made sense though. Yeah. Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report, fan sided, did a DDT. You can find him on Twitter at Russell Rant. Great work for both sites. Well, I want to thank you and I appreciate you, your support every single time we do the show. You can follow me at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And the video version now on YouTube on the Cruise Control Podcast Network. Thank you to our guys at Red Bull for the love and support. Graham, uh, any new interviews you got coming up soon for the fans to, to be aware about? Uh, not coming up soon. Um, we Wait, they, 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 they got you on vacation now? <laughs> well, we were supposed <laughs> to do a few. Um, I did Bianca Belair the other day. She was really, really nice. That went up on Bleach Report on Thursday. Yeah, she was great. We did that one last week and went up like two days ago. 
we were supposed to do um i'll just tell you right now i think you're the first person or the maybe the second person i've told this though we were supposed to do and it just didn't work out two different people for the next like week or two um and i'm bummed it didn't work out but it is what it is i, I totally get it maybe at some point down the road so nothing in the immediate works but this is who it would have been i almost got the chance to talk to mick foley for next week which would have been great and we just talked we just talked about him i almost exactly. got a chance with foley leading into the whole taker 30 year anniversary thing obviously he knows taker very well mm-hmm. that didn't work out and it might it, it could still happen i just don't think it's i don't think it's going to at this point foley and the other one okay. kane didn't work out. I was bummed wow. about that. Again, it's totally understandable. I get it. Um, wow. At some point in the future, though. But uh, again, tying into the whole taker thing. But that, those two almost did happen. We couldn't work it out at some other point, maybe. But um, yeah, we, which would have been sick. I and mean, we just got done talking about Cannon and stuff like that. And Foley, too, actually. We, just, we literally just talked about him. So exactly. We kind of talked about that. But hey, at some point down the road, they're still on the list of uh, people I'd love to talk to at some point. And I know as time goes on, we'll, we'll do a couple shows in um, tribute to Taker matches, rivalries, all that good stuff. Uh, so 30 we, year anniversary is next Sunday, so maybe that'll be the next episode. Yeah, we got to get some Taker Kane stuff, Taker Mankind stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. Um, so, Graham, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Follow him on Twitter at WrestleRants for Bleacher Report and Fansided DDT. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. Take care. I'll catch you next time. All right, man. Thank you. Adios. All right.